It is an honor to have our special guest to speak with us today. I've been knowing this man since we were much younger than we are today. But uh, Pastor David Smith has preached all over the United States and, and many parts of the, uh, of the world. And one of the greatest speakers that I have ever heard. And uh, I would like you to just to welcome him with a round of applause. Would you do that? David Smith. so much, Pastor Don. Good morning, everybody. It's wonderful, wonderful to see you in God's house today. Um, and I appreciate the opportunity to, to open the Word of God and preach the gospel with you. I, uh, Pastor Don is right. I've, I've traveled a lot throughout the world and uh, about 30-some countries and almost every state. Not all of them, but all, I've been to all of them except one. Which one was that? No, been there. Been there. Been there. Been there a few times, yeah. North Dakota. North Dakota. I don't know how I missed it, but I, I, I missed it somehow or other. But I have, uh, I have worked with many, many men of God. I've had the privilege to preach in many of the great pulpits in our country, but I can tell you today that I know of not one servant of God whom I believe has a deeper commitment to the gospel and a greater love for his family and his uh, church and his ministry and most of all his God than Pastor Don Westbrook. I, I've, I've said that. I've said that, Pastor Don, in your absence many times, and I just say it in your presence today, that uh, I love you, my friend. Uh, you're, you're my friend to whom my soul has been knit and uh, um, we have known each other for a long time. In fact, the first time I preached in this church, I was a teenager. You know that's been a long time, and I, I don't know if anybody was here then. I know Pastor Don was here, uh, and, and Judy was here, and, and, and uh, Sister Carol was here, but um, I have a deep love for this church, and uh, I've loved, always loved this church, but especially since... Uh, Cheryl and I have had the privilege of, uh, of worshiping here with you on a, on a somewhat regular basis for the last couple of years, and it's been a delight, been a joy, and I've just uh, fallen more deeply in love with this church and this uh, wonderful uh, spiritual family of faith, and it's a, it's a blessing, just a delight to be with you this morning. I want to call your attention to the Old Testament book of the prophet Hosea. How, how long has it been since you read from Hosea? Um, and I would like to, uh, to take just a moment to, uh, to put in context the text that I want to read today. The book of Hosea, Hosea is, first of all, um, the longest um, and, uh, and the most, perhaps the most theologically comprehensive of all the uh, minor prophets. And by the way, why, why did they call them minor prophets? has nothing to do with their significance. Uh, the books uh, of, the minor, of the prophets were just uh, shorter, the minor prophets shorter, and uh, uh, Hosea, book of Hosea, almost made the cut and almost was one of the major prophets. And I think it's unfortunate that we refer to them as major and minor prophets. All the prophets are major. But uh, this just happens to be one of the shorter of the, uh, of the 
prophecy books in the Bible. The first three chapters of the book is a historical narrative telling Hosea's story. And then the rest of the, the book is the message that God had called Hosea to give to the people of Israel. Hosea was a prophet of God who, who spoke for the most part in northern Israel about the 8th century, uh, preaching over 50 years and proclaiming the word of the Lord. He was contemporary with uh, Isaiah and Micah and Amos, and I'm not sure, but maybe even a couple of other of the prophets of the Bible. Uh, and really, it's a bizarre story that, you, that we read in the first three chapters of the book of, uh, of Hosea. The story of his life is, a, is, a, is totally amazing, bizarre. God told Hosea to marry a girl. Well, she was a girl you wouldn't want to take home to meet mama. She was a nice, she was not a nice, a nice lady, but, uh, but they, they married according to God's direction. He married this woman who was a prostitute. Um, and she, had, she gave birth to three children. Only all three of these children were born by her holotry and her fornication. Um, she left Hosea. They had a struggling, obviously, who could not have, but a struggling relationship in their marriage. And she left him, and uh, Hosea pleaded for her to come back. He prayed that he, she would come back. And um, uh, he had a long and painful estrangement from the uh, from the woman that uh, God called him to marry and now uh, he had come to love. Well, finally her life uh, went downhill and went into absolute degradation and ruin. She actually came to the point that she wound up on the auction block where, so, where slaves were traded and sold. And uh, guess who was in the crowd bidding for her? Nobody else but the prophet Hosea, and uh, he bought her. He bought her for 15 shackles of silver, half the, uh, the price of a slave. Um, the, the story has, uh, has a happy ending, though. But Hosea, because Hosea and his wife Gomer lived together in covenant relationship uh, for many years, but the question is, why in the world would God have Hosea to, to go through all the struggle and pain and heartache that he went through? Well, in part, it was a picture, an object lesson, if you will, on God's love for his people Israel, his beloved and yet so um, unfaithful bride. This incredible story shows us God's love uh, for the people uh, uh, whose hearts were far from him. During Hosea's ministry, uh, Israel was a divided kingdom. Uh, they, were, they had drifted far from God, and they instead had gone off after idols, pagan gods, the gods of the nations around them. They had uh, they become arrogant and brash, not only in the, in the nation of Israel at that time was sin uh, um, uh, tolerated, or condoned, it was celebrated. Uh, 
you were you were canceled if you said anything about it because the the, the secular crowd the pagan crowd had gone completely uh, after the things of, 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 of the pagan nations does that sound familiar I'm just wondering that sounded all familiar but um, but the prophet pleads with them pleads with the people to turn from their sin and, and come back to God and turn from their idols and uh, and and come back to the Lord and he said the only way that this nation is going to be spared from the judgments of God is by returning to the Lord God yeah. promised that he will send judgment upon them but but uh, but Hosea said you don't have to go there you don't have to suffer loss and pain and ultimate destruction if you will only return to the Lord that's the theme of the whole book returning to the Lord so I just want to go ahead and, and read and read the text It's in Hosea chapter uh, 6 and I begin with verse 1 come let us return to the Lord for he has torn us that he may heal us think about that he has torn us that he may heal us he has stricken us and he will bind us up after two days he will revive us and on the third day we he will raise us up that uh, we may live before him uh, let us know the Lord and he emphasizes let us press on to know the Lord his going forth is as sure as the dawn uh, and, he, is, and uh, uh, he will come to us as the showers and uh, as uh, sprinkles of rain, uh, the spring rain that waters the earth. Simply put, there's only one answer to degradation and, ob and, and, and ultimate ruining, and that is to turn to the Lord. Yes. Three simple things. That's a simple message today, but it's not, some parts of it are not very easy to swallow. First of all is the call. This is in verse 1. Come, let us return to the Lord. Say that with me. Come, let us return to the Lord. And verse 3, let us know the Lord. Let us know the Lord and let us press on to know the Lord. So let's take it just bit by bit so, so we, we don't miss anything. First of all, the call. Come. It's present tense, it's, it's active voice, it's imperative mood. There's no question about what it means. Come, you come, come and let us return to the Lord. You don't have to live the life you've been living, he says to the people. In fact, you must not stay where you are. You don't have to have the emptiness and the, the futility that comes with living a life that's lived apart from God. Uh, you, you don't have to do the things that you've done before. In fact, you must not continue to commit the sins that you have committed. This, uh, things can be different for you. They can absolutely be different for you. Things can change radically in your lives. And, uh, well, how, that, how can that happen? How can that happen? That, that's the first thing. But here's the second thing. Let us, let us return. Let us return. Uh, it's plural. Uh, you're not by yourself. I'm, I'm curious, how many of you here really feel in your own heart a deep need for renewing by the power yeah. of the Holy Spirit? See that? Do you feel that? 
almost everybody. How many, look around you, and how many of you have a deep concern to see the people around you renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit? You want to see that. See, we're not in this alone, folks. We're not in this alone. We all are pulling together. We're all eager for, for a move of God, a, a, a powerful move of the Holy Spirit of God. Come, let us. The third word is return. Return, the Hebrew word there is shub. It's used thousands of times in the Old Testament, shub. And it means to, to, move, to go from the place that you've been staying back to the place that you know you ought to be, right? Go from where you are now to where you know you need to be. There's a parallel word in the New Testament, and the word is repent. Repent, right? That means to turn around. That means to come back. That means you can't stay where you are. It's, it's a U-turn on, on the road of life. You're heading in this direction, and God, and God calls upon you and gives you the wonderful gift of conviction. I call it a gift of conviction because repentance is something, that, or, or, or the gift of repentance, because conviction, uh, repentance is not something you, do, you can do by yourself. God has to grant to you the gift of repentance. So you listen to the call of God. And you said, God, I need to turn around. And then God gives you the grace and God gives you the strength to make a U-turn on the road of life and to turn around and go in, the, in, in a different direction. And this is exactly what the word means. Return to the Lord. Shub, turn around. He, he uses this, uh, this, this word several times in his prophecy. Actually, actually here in the chapter 5 and verse 4, um, uh, their deeds uh, do, not do not allow them to return to the Lord. What does that mean? Well, the, some of the things they were doing, you know, no, what, we're not willing to stop. Some of the ways that we're, they were living and we're not willing to change. We're holding them back from really making a full out uh, repentance before the Lord. Chapter 7 and verse, uh, verse 10, Israel, uh, Israel's arrogance. It testifies against him. And his, uh, but despite all of this, he does not return unto the Lord. Could it be possible sometimes in the church and certainly in our nations that our pride and our arrogance becomes the greatest barrier from keeping us yes. from coming back to God? Uh, God brings conviction. God sends uh, the, the message to you and you want to respond uh, deep down in your heart, you want to respond, but the culture around you puts pressures on your life. It's not a popular thing. In fact, in fact, the preaching that's done right here in this church is not popular in the world. And God, God has raised up wonderful ministries in this church. I, I, I love it when Pastor Dunn breaks the bread of life and so, so faithfully uh, teaches us the things that God is saying. And, uh, and, and also uh, Larry and, and, and Dan and, and, um, and um, Antoinette. Uh, wonderful, wonderful messages. I've just been absolutely uh, fed and enriched and, and, and guided by the word of God that's been preached in this church. Uh, but, but our pride as, as a people and in as, na as a nation have kept us from responding to the word and coming back to God. Let me give you one or two more in chapter 11, verse 5, uh, Assyrians, 
will rule over you. Now, think about that. I mean, imagine that. Pagans will be essentially your kings. That's frightening, isn't it? Uh, why? Because you refuse to return to the Lord. And on and on and on through this prophecy. And even in the last chapter of the book, God is, is holding out his invitation, no more than an invitation, his command to return to him because you have no idea, Israel, what I want to do in your life and the change that needs to take place. Listen to this in chapter 14, the very last chapter of the book. Uh, I will heal their waywardness. God is, God is speaking now of, uh, of, of Israel uh, and he's speaking of us. I will heal their waywardness and love them freely. Uh, my anger has turned away. I, I, I just love, I, I love the justice of God and the power of God and the, and the severity of God when it's necessary. But I, I have to tell you, my heart is moved with the mercy of God. It's, it's, it's amazing. I still love you, Israel. I, I still love you. My anger has, has turned away. And, and, and now all I feel for you is, is, is love and compassion and a deep desire to bring you in, back into the relationship that you, you have, have with me. My people re will return. I love this. My people will return in safety to their land. They will flourish like the grapes and flourish like the grain and blossom like the grapes. They will be, they will be as fragrant as the wine of Lebanon. Yeah. It's going to happen, God says. It's going to happen. It's going to happen when you turn. It's going it's to happen when you, when you make the turnaround in your life, the repentance in your life. Is absolutely necessary and this is this is an important uh, point that I want to make at this point in time and because this is an old-fashioned term I grew up with this term and yeah. in this in the evangelicalism is not very 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 much used but 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 turning um, repenting uh, is uh, is a crisis and the word crisis we usually define that in a negative sense, the crisis, unless you're in, into literature, and, and the crisis means the turn in the plot of the play, for better or for worse. It's something that happens instantly in a moment of time instead of something that gradually evolves in process. A crisis. You'll understand why I'm saying this in a moment. A crisis rather than just a slow, gradual process turning to him. God's calling for a critical, a crisis, an instantaneous turn toward him. In a spiritual sense, it's a, it's a transaction with God, it's, and it's a work of God in our spirit that, is, uh, that, that takes place in a moment of time instead of something that happens in a gradual process. Uh, for, for, so so crisis uh, is returning, returning to the Lord, and it, it, it involves some quick 
In fact, from some sudden changes in, in, in your life. First of all, there has to be a recognition in order to, to hear this call and to respond to this call, you have to recognize where you are. That, Vance Abner used to say the, the, the biggest job in getting people saved is getting them lost. No, not that we're, they were not lost already. They just didn't know that they were lost. And the biggest challenge in, in bringing people, leading people rev, to revival and returning is because they think they're already revived. They think everything is already the same. And, and, and you have to, uh, to come to the point in your life that you say, wait a minute, there has to be more for me in my Christian experience than this. I, I mean, God has more for me than this. No matter what I tell myself, uh, things are not as they should be in my life. So I'm, 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 gonna, I'm the only one who can change this, and I can only change it by the power and grace of God. So there has to be a, a, a decision in your life. I can only change through the power that God will give to me, and I'm going to do that, and so I am going to turn and set my face to seek after God. It has to happen. And I would say it probably has to happen as a crisis or an instantaneous, a, 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 something that you do in time as opposed to de doing gradually over time. And then secondly, there has to be a true repentance. Once you recognize um, you have to repent, um, you have, to, you have to acknowledge before God, I'm not where I need to be with you. What I'm doing in the life that I've been living is wrong. It's harmful to me and it's, it's hurtful to the people around me, people I live. It's, it's, it's not honoring to you in any way. So, so God, so God, I'm sorry. I'm deeply sorry. And repentance is a great word, but it's been watered down. If you only define it uh, etymologically in the Greek, I mean the, in, the, in the English, to repent sounds like it simply means to be sorry again. It's much more than that. Much more than that. In the Greek, the word is metanoia. And it's a total radical change in your whole outlook. Everything, every value, every thought, Every decision, every choice, every, every motivation has to be changed in your life. Yes. Metanoia, a new mind, a new heart. Everything has to be changed. So you come to God and say, God, I, I, I'm, I'm guilty. I'm, I'm, uh, I, I'm unworthy. But by your grace, I'm breaking loose. Yes. Whatever it is. Now, we, we think about the obvious sins, the outward sins, the, the visible sins of our lives. And worst of all, and probably more commonly than all, that it's the sins of the heart. The sins of attitude, right? The pride and the arrogance and the bitterness and the judgmentalism and the, and, and the, the unforgiveness. And the list could, could go on and on. Sins that you do not see are probably more deadly than the sins that you can see, right? And then after recognition and after repentance, there has to be a, a, a reorientation. Uh, 
once, you, once you've repented, once you've recognized, once you've repented, then you have to find your bearings again. Do some dead reckoning, and if you've, if you've ever flown an airplane or sailed a vessel, find out where you are and look at the car, chart and see where you need to be, right? And make the, make the, the course correction. So, so reor, reorienting your life, that, that, that means I'm, I'm leaving behind everything that has distracted me from you, God. My, my sin and my waywardness is a thing of the past. I, I, I want you, God, and I want everything that you have in store for me. And, and I want to live the life that pleases you, so I am returning. I, I'm returning. I'm getting back on track. Now, now listen, don't, don't try to fix yourself before coming to God. Don't say, well, well, I, I want to come to God, but, uh, but first of all, uh, I have to change a few things. No, you can't change enough things to come to God. You have to come to God and let him change you, right? Well, yeah, yeah, I know I need to return. I know I need to come to God, but, but I got to get myself ready. No, you can't get yourself ready. God is already ready. I, I've talked to people many times, you know, on the street, and I've talked to hundreds, really thousands of people on the streets who have said in different words, but words to this effect, I know I need to get right with God. I I know I need to come to him. I need to return to my faith, but uh, there are things I have to straighten out. There are things I have to do. One man said to me, I, I, don't even, I don't even feel comfortable being close to people like you. And I'm, I said, it's, I'm no different from you. No, no, he said, I'm, I'm, I'm so defiled and there's so, so much sin and so, so much ungodliness in my life. I feel like, he said, I feel like I'd have to have a bath inside and out. And I said, my friend, Jesus is the bath, right? He's, he's the one and he's the only one that can do it in your life. He doesn't need your efforts at self-reform and self-correction. He doesn't, he doesn't need you to, uh, to get yourself straight and then come to him. No, he says, come to me. And I think the, the only invitational hymn uh, that ever needs to be sung, I'm not saying there are not others that are great, but I don't think there's a better one that simply says, just as I am. Amen. Without one plea, but that thou thy blood was shed for me and that thou bidst me come to thee O Lamb of God just as, just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot in thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, each spot. just as I am poor, wretched and blind but sight and riches and healing of the mind Yea, all I need in thee to find, O Lamb of God, I come. We overestimate our ability to change ourselves. So important we know that only God can change a human heart from the inside out. A leper cannot change his spot. 
An Ethiopian cannot change the color of his skin. We can only do surface things. We, we, we can try, and, and we can tweak, and we can, we can, we can try to have better self-control, but only God can change us from the inside out. There's been, in my opinion, a, a, a problem in, in the church for a long time. I don't know how many, how many lines. How long it's been, but uh, but it's a concept that that once you come to faith in Christ, everything else can be accomplished by means of process. We, we, we study more and uh, and pray more and do this and do that and learn this and learn that and then and add to and improve yourself little by little by little. Once you, the, 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 the thing we've heard is, certainly in the, in the, the mainstream churches, uh, once you get saved, once you come to faith in Christ, that's all there is. Uh, everything, else is by, everything else comes by process. I was, I was preaching a revival in a, actually in a Baptist church up in uh, Alton, Illinois, some time ago, and and a, 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 a guy came up to me after the service and he said, now I'm really confused. Now I'm really confused. The preacher told me when I got saved, I got it all. And he said, now, every time you get up, night after night, you're saying, I need some more. <laughs> how do you think, I, how many think I told him right? Yes. You need some more. Everybody say, you don't have it all. You need some more. Right. I, I, no, I really believe that. But, but to see, before the Reformation, uh, religion was just a matter of, of, of process and performance. They, 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 they did things. They went through rituals. And I'm not making light of any of these things. Some, some of those rituals in the Catholic Church and, and, and the uh, Orthodox Church, some of them have meaning and beauty. I, I, get, I get it all. But it was all a, a means of, of, of doing things, Right? Performing rituals and counting beads and uh, studying icons and you know, all of this stuff. But the reformers came along and they, they said, wait a minute, wait a minute, process is not enough. You have to ch have a, a change in your heart. You have to come to faith, and only God can bring about that change in your life. God, only that, they were right in that. Only God grants repentance. And I think, I think they were wrong in that God only grants repentance to certain people. I really believe in the whosoever will gospel. But, but they said they said that you you have to have a crisis experience. They use that crisis that name that uh, uh, term a lot. You have a you have a have a. a a crisis experience in your life. You need to come to God in a moment of time. And I agree with that. But they said, after that, you can make the rest of the journey by process. And then came along the, uh, the Wesleys and uh, the holiness revival. And I, I'm a product of that, of that culture. Uh, they said, no, 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 no. Thank God you're born again. We're really, really glad you're saved. 
but you need another crisis. It's called sanctification. You, you need to be sanctified. I, I remember sitting, and I, I went to a, a, a Wesleyan Bible college, and I remember a, one of the professors saying to me, uh, sometime along your journey, you're going to come to an altar that is called total sanctification and full submission to God and you have to bow at that altar and give it all to him and from that point Jesus is the Lord of your life and they would go beyond that and say the sin nature is eradicated and they called it full salvation or they called it entire sanctification my grandfather was a preacher and in that movement for over 50 years and uh, he really believed he really believed and preached and they taught continually a second work of grace a second crisis experience in your life which is which is called a sanctification sanctification and then and then the Pentecostals came along around the turn of the century and they said well well it's great that you're saved Huh? Uh, but but uh, and and it's, it's great that you're sanctified. Of course, it was that the Pentecostal movement was divided, you know, into certain segments. But two of those segments were the were the uh, the, the crisis sanctification group, and the other group was the progressive sanctification oh, yeah. group. The Church of God, the Pentecostal holiness, uh, you know, some of those some of those in that group said, no, 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 you get saved and sanctified and then later you pray through and, and, and you get total sanctification the assemblies of God said well yeah you, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit but salvation is the progressive work you all that you know had contemplated that whole thing but 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 which is right I'm saying now, which is right? The, the reformers who said you have one crisis experience, which is called salvation, the new birth. Or, or, or are, the, are the holiness people, the Wesleyan people that said, no, you need a second crisis, which is called sanctification. Or the third group, which is the, the Pentecostals and saying, you know, you need a third work of grace. You need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Most of them said you need to speak in tongues and that, that, that's the evidence that you're filled with the Spirit and then, brother, you got it all. And again, I say, which one is right? None of them is right. There's no stopping place. I believe, I believe fully in the new birth and, and sanctification and holiness and, and the baptism and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. But I don't think there's a stopping place. There is no graduation point. And we've make a, made a big mistake when we narrow it down. Pentecostals used to say, it takes three to thrive, right? And, and they, they, I've heard sermons on the, 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 the Trinity of God, you know. Uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, salvation, sanctification, baptism, the Holy Spirit, and you know, the list goes on and on. No, no, no. God is not limited to three works of grace in your life. 
And there needs, there needs to be experience after experience, transaction after transaction, transformation after transpiration. As long as you live on this earth, there need to be, obviously, the progressive work of, of holiness and, and cleansing and sanctification in our lives, but, but also there needs to be crisis experience. I, I can point back. To several points, and so can you. I can back, point back to several points in time when, in which God wor was working in my life uh, about the power of his grace, and, and I would have to consider them a crisis experience. In my life. Has anybody else experienced that? I, I remember moments of time, and I, I'm not going to go into the, to the detail, but even I'm, as I make this statement, my mind is racing back over really 40 or 50 years and, and, and to this day. When I remember points in time, a hotel room, a service I was in, a person I was talking to, a struggle that I was going through, and they became crisis experiences in my life in which I was called, and thank God responded to the call to return to the Lord, to come back to return to the Lord. And churches like ours, usually about once or twice a year, the pastor would get up and, 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 and announce, we're going to have a revival, right? And it makes me kind of sad that, that we, we kind of stray away from that. And I understand some of the reasons why. And some revivals usually were at least a week, right? And, and sometimes two weeks. And sometimes they would we run into weeks and then months. And I understand that. So why was that necessary? Why was that necessary? Well, uh, because there was a felt need of spiritual awakening yes. as a crisis event. There was a felt need of that. Churches and pastors would sense, wait a minute, wait a minute. Something's not right. We're cooling off. We're, we're drifting. Something is not as it was. We need to have a revival. God, send a revivalist. Send a revivalist. And the revivalist would come and say, say, wake up. Wake up. And we'd say, I, I didn't know I was asleep, right? And, and, and you've got to move from where you are. And we'd think, God, I didn't know where I was. The Holy Spirit would convict our hearts. And something would change in us. We would often come to an altar and fall down before God and cry out to God. And a crisis experience would take place in our lives. I'm going to have to, have to ask the question today, not just of you, but, 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 but of myself. When was the last time that you had a deep, heartfelt, desperate sense of your need for a renewing, reviving experience with God in your life. Just, just think about that. How, many, how, many, how long has it been since you were just simply torn apart because of your deep spiritual need? If we're honest about it, in that point in time, if we're honest about it, we, we, we have to admit, we have to say, that's right. Yeah. There's some drifting. It's not the way it was with me. 
We need a crisis experience of, of returning to the Lord. And this is what Hosea is calling for. And uh, this is what God is calling for here today. To every one of us, certainly in my life, God is calling for it. Let us return to the Lord. S say that with me. Let us return to the Lord. Say it one more time. Let us return to the Lord. I wish, I wish we could just say it with passion. Just lift our voice together and say, let us return to the Lord. Here's the second part of this call to revival. Let us know. Let us know the Lord. Let us, King James says, follow on. But I, I, I like the NAV, NIV better in this, in this particular. I'll tell you why in a moment, in this particular sense. Let us press on. Let us press on to know the Lord. The concept of knowing God runs throughout the scripture. <clears throat> when the Bible talks about knowing God, I know there's a sip of water up here somewhere. I could use it in a moment, anytime. So when the Bible talks about knowing God, <clears throat> it's not just talking about knowing about God. I, I meet some people sometimes, thank you, son. I meet some, some people sometime and I say, do you know the Lord? Oh, yeah. I, I know a lot about God. No, that's not the question, right? Because right. when the Bible talks about knowing the Lord, of course, he's talking about knowing uh, facts about God. And many of you in this church today can, can write God a pretty good resume, right? Because you know a lot about him. Second, I think he's talking about not only knowing the facts about God, but I, th I, th I think he's talking about a proper understanding of those facts. Amen. In, in our circles, sometimes we've known a lot, but we did not understand what we knew. And we had to go back and study and put it in context, context and, and, and really apply some serious study of God's word. But the third thing is talking about not just knowing God, knowing about God, <clears throat> facts about God, but not just having a proper understanding of those facts, a good theological base, but it's talking about a personal, passionate, experiential, and intimate relationship with God. Let us... No. The Lord, that's another word I want to I just point out. The word is yada. That's used thousands of times in the Bible. Let us know yada. And it's, it means a personal and close. And sometimes it's talking about a covenantal relationship, knowledge of God. And sometimes it's talking about a really serious intimate relationship I mean for example um, 
in, in Genesis chapter 4, Adam knew his wife. What does that mean? You know what that means. doesn't mean he got acquainted with her. It's not like one day God said, uh, Adam, meet Eve. No, no, it's more than that, right? Yeah. He knew her. Yeah, he knew her intimately. And, and of course, you know that but he, because it goes on to say she conceived and bring forth a son. And, and it names her sons or, and, and Adam's sons. And, uh, and it said of Cain in the same chapter that Cain knew his wife. And, and you see that. That, that word biblically all through the Old Testament. So it's, so it's talking about knowing God intimately. But there's another, there's another flavor of, of meaning to that term that means to know God in deep covenant relationship. For example, in Genesis 18, the Bible says God knew Abraham. I want God to know me. And I want, I want to know God. Um, you, you remember the, the intercession that, Ad, that Abraham was doing with, with, um, with God concerning Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, remember that. In, in that context, God said, I know, I know Abraham, my friend Abraham. And, and how can I withhold from him the thing that I'm about to do? And God had a, had a conversation with him. So knowing God, conversing with God, interacting with God, interchange with God is, is, is what it really means. And, and, uh, and then the other word in this, in this particular verse um, is to press or to follow on. The word there is radop. It means, it means pursue and chase, chase down, um, prosecute. So, so, so let's give it all we've got. That's what he's saying. Let's give it all we've got. Let, let's make the pursuit to know God the most passionate pursuit we've ever had in our lives. You want to return to God? You want to really know God in the way he wants to be known by you? And you can relax. I'm, 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 the, the third part is not going to take me as long as, as, as the second part. I'm really trying to be time conscious but it's I'm just so full of this uh, passion to bring the word of God to you today and, I, and thank you for bearing with me the path the path that's in the in, the, in verse 1 the, the B part of the verse you remember this from a moment ago and I, that's strange words that God says he has torn he has torn us that they may heal us. He has stricken us and he will bind us up. Think about that. The first, first part of the pathway uh, back to revival is, is um, I, I thought about that this morning. In the last few days, I've been really pondering this, this message and another similar message from the New Testament, the book of Acts. But I, I was, I was talk, thinking about this, uh, pursuing God, pursuing God, and then, and then the pathway back is what God is going to do. And uh, I thought of a 
using a term. I hope this comes out right. And the term was purposeful pain. I never had a pain I enjoyed. How about you? I don't like pain. I never met a problem I liked or an adversity I wanted to make friends with. I don't, how many are with me? We're honest, right? I don't like trouble. I don't like pain. But there is such thing as purposeful pain. He has torn us in order that he may heal us. And, 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 the, and the word there is, 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 is a powerful word. Radak, that means to, 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 to tear apart. Uh, it's, it's, like the, um, it's like the lion going after his prey. He rips him. It's a gruesome thing. Uh, my wife told me about her, her brother and sister-in-law, and uh, they had a big dog that attacked a little dog that was just so precious and so special to them. And I'm, I'm not going to go into the graphics of this, but, but, but the predator ripped the prey apart. Yeah. It was gruesome. It was terrible. And that's the word that's used there. But it's not to destroy us, it's to develop us. It's not to hurt us in the long run, it's to help us in the, wrong, in the, in, in the long term. Sometimes God will bring pain and suffering and problems into our lives because he knows that's the instrument that he needs to use yes. to heal us and restore us to the point that we need to be. I will, this is in verse 14, I'll be, I'll be like a lion to Ephraim and, uh, and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, oh my goodness, I even, I even I will tear and then go away. I will carry away and no one will rescue. This is, this is pretty severe stuff. And who's God talking to? Israel and Judah, right? I mean, his chosen people, the people he loves, the people for whom he gave the life of his son to say, that's, that's not just Israel, but all of us. Yeah. And then I will, I will turn away, and no one will rescue them until they acknowledge their sin and seek my face and then they'll return whether we like it or not whether we like to face it or not this is a picture of God who sees us running amok ruining ourselves by our own waywardness and our own sin and then loving us enough to do whatever is necessary to bring us back to the place that we need to be I, I, listen I totally get it I know this is not fun stuff but it's vital it's necessary stuff 
there's a, there's a, room, there's a word that I, I have to say to somebody in this room today, and uh, I know you're not going to want to hear it, and somebody might even be offended by it. I hope not, but somebody can be offended by it. But behind the hurt in your life is a loving God who knows what is necessary to bring you to, from where you are to where you need to be. Why does God allow pain, suffering in our lives to open us up to the power of his grace? I'm going to take a moment and just share this, this personal illustration. It was a man who, uh, who I, got, I got to know almost 20 years ago, maybe a little more than 20 years ago. He attended our church for years until his, uh, his practice took him away. He moved to Detroit. And the setting in which I met the man was he inflicted a serious wound on my father that caused him a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, loss of mentality, days and days in the hospital and then weeks in, the, in the recovery or in, the, what do they call it, rehab. This man cut my dad from just under his throat to the middle of his abdomen. He ripped him apart and he literally sawed his sternum in two and with tools pressed it open. He, he even invaded his heart now you know where I'm going. Why would a man do this for, to another man? He was wounded, wounding him to heal him. Yes. He was tearing him apart to put him back together. He was inflicting purposeful pain so that after the surgery, and after the recuperative time, my dad could be better than he was before. Wow. My dad, and you, you, you remember this, Pastor Doug, my dad left Duke Hospital and spent several more productive years in ministry. I can give you some details of that that are kind of funny, but I'm just telling you. Purposeful pain purposeful pain. And then one other term that, that, that I want to use, and this is another very strange way to use this term, is life-giving death. Life-giving death. He has torn so that he may heal. He has stricken, nakah, stricken. And that's almost, almost always, maybe with a couple of exceptions in the Old Testament that is always translated as to slay or to kill. Will God kill you? No. No. He, he may allow pain in your life that makes you think you're going to die, but, 
but you want. And this may sound very strange today. You can only experience the coming to life of things that God has in store for you when you experience the death of other things that are holding you back. Love for Christ cannot really live in you until your love for sin has died. The only experience that, uh, that, that you only experience the strength of God when your own self-confidence and pride and arrogance dies. See, there has to be death in order to be life. There have been periods of time in my life, I can, I can enumerate at least two and perhaps three, periods of time in my life when I went through such pain and, and, and sorrow that I thought I would die. I didn't know if I could live through it. Some of you have been there as well. Bear with me today. I think, I think Linda, you'll remember a man by the name of Leroy. We, we pray together, right? Uh, on, on a, I know, I'm sure that, pretty sure that you were there on a, on a Saturday night going into um, Sunday morning service, and Leroy came over to me and said, uh, I have a word from the Lord for you. So, okay, I listened, and he said, God is going to take you to a new level. And that's, you know, that was, that was a pretty common prophetic expression back in those days God is going to take you to a new level and I'm thinking okay and I, to be honest I was a little bit nonplussed I, did, I didn't know I didn't know if, if there was a that was a word from the Lord directly for me or not and then I turned and when I walked away from Leroy God spoke to me in my heart as clearly as I've ever heard him speak God spoke to me and said I am going to take you to a new level. It's a lower level. Two things. It was a, there was a sense of anxiety and dread. What, what, does that, what does that mean? But the other thing was, deep down in my heart, there was a desire, almost a craving for simplicity, for my life to get more simple. And God brought that, God brought that to pass. God began to take me to a new level, a lower level. It was a, it was a time of pain and loss. I lost things I did not want to give up. Friends that I loved more than I loved myself. Positions that I that meant more to me than I knew meant to me. Possessions and relations. I can go down the line. It was a, it was a time in, in the following months and really, really into years. It was a time of terrible pain and loss in my life. But I look back and I see that it was the greatest thing God could ever have done in my life to bring me through the crisis that I did not want to go through and, 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 and introduce me to the pain that I did not want to feel in order to do a work that he wanted to do in my life. I prayed, I, I, I spent days walking on mountain trails and 
falling on my face and crying out to God. I, I remember one particular day up uh, at, the, at the Hanging Rock State Park, wonderful trails up there, and I said, God, I'm not coming down from this mountain until you tell me what you're doing in my life. Uh, did that happen? No. I came back down from the mountain. I was just as confused as ever. Until one day, one day I was walking and a prayer came up from the depth of my being. I didn't make it up. I didn't rehearse it or prepare for it. This is the prayer that came up out of my, the depth of my heart. I said, God, give me what I need and only what I need to fulfill your purpose in my life and take from me anything that would distract me from you or hinder your purpose in my life. And I've prayed that prayer hundreds of times ever since. Almost every day I pray that prayer. Say, is that, is that an easy prayer? No, that's a dangerous prayer to pray. But that's one of the most critical and crucial prayers we can pray. And I'm re I wind up with this. Finally is the promise, the promise. Oh, this is beautiful. After two days, I will. Uh, he, after two days, he will revive us. He's talking about God. After two days, he will revive revive us. Two days, as you probably know, in the Old Testament, just means in a short period of time. Doesn't mean two or three days necessarily. But on the third day, he will raise us up. Oh my goodness. God knows about the pain and the loss and the problems and the challenges that are going on in your life. And he knows, he knows two things. They will not last forever. Right? Somebody say it. They will not last forever. They will not last forever. As the old uh, African-American preacher used to say, it came to pass. It came to pass whether he knew exactly what that meant. He thought, he had a revelation, right? It came to pass. It didn't come to stay. It came to pass. After two days, and on the third day, he will, he will raise us up. He has gone forth. His going forth is as sure as, as the dawning. He will come. With shower and showereth with with spring rains, and and water the earth. That's what we need from God. Yes. We need to understand the faithfulness of God. Just as surely as the sun comes up up in the morning, God is at work. I, I started to say when the come, sun comes up, God goes to work. No, God God never sleeps. He works twenty four seven. Right. But as sure as the sun rises in the morning, God is at work in ways we can't even understand, but in ways that are going to change us for eternity. So we don't need just the spring rains, uh, little showers to, to water the earth. We need a flood, right? We need a, a ground-soaking flood 
to, uh, to wash us, wash us clean and restore us and heal us and bring us back to where we need to be with God. Would you just stand with me? Is, this is for you today. Uh, what's happening in your life uh, doesn't matter. The world, the flesh, and the devil. God is, God is over that. He's got it. You need revival. You need, uh, you need a new passion. A new fresh fire. A renewal of vitality need to fully, fully, fully return to the Lord in the sense, in the context of this word today. I just want you to just come and join me here. Just let's stand together. Pray at the close of this service. Just come. Just come. If we'll do that, folks, if we'll do that, the best days that, our best days in God are still in the future. Let your pain bring you to the healer. Let your thirst lead you to the fountain of living water that can quench your thirst forever. Amen, amen, amen. There's a, there's a song that we used to sing years ago. I haven't heard it sung in many years, I guess. There's a voice calling me from an old rugged tree that whispers, son, grow closer to me. Leave the world far behind. There are new heights to climb and a new place in me you will find and whatever it takes to draw closer to you Lord that's what I'll be willing to do and whatever for my will to break, that's what I'll be willing to do. Take my houses and lands, change my dreams and my plans. Lord, I'm placing my whole life in your hands. And if you call me today to a land far away 
I'll obey and you will I'll obey and whatever to draw closer to rock draw closer to you that's what I'll be willing that's what I'll be willing to do and whatever it takes for my will to break Lord that's what I'll be willing to do there's another verse of that song that I'm uh, almost reluctant to sing it not that it's not uh, a, a great and powerful and significant verse but um, when I think about that, I, I'm almost distracted with the question of, do I really mean it? Are these words that I mean from the depth of my heart, or am I just singing a song? So I, I'm going to sing it, and I pray that God will give me grace, and God will help me to, to really mean it. Will you do that with me, too? Take the dearest thing to me. If that's how it must be to draw me closer to you, Lord. Let the disappointments come, lonely days without the sun. If through sorrow more like you I'll become. And whatever it takes to draw closer to you, Lord, that's what I'm willing, that's what I'll be willing to do. And whatever it takes, and whatever it takes for my will to break, that, that's what I'll be willing. I'll trade sunshine for rain, heartache for pain. That's what I'll be willing to do. And whatever it takes for my will to break, Lord, that's what I'll be willing line again. Lord, that's what I'll be willing to do. Well, let's just pray right now. In your own words, in your own way, just pray and just call out to the Lord. God, send revival and start the work in me. Oh, God, break my heart for you, Lord. Break my heart from what for what breaks yours. Lord, help me to be honest. Help me to be open. Help me to be transparent before you. You know it all, but God, you need for us to confess it all. Help us, God. Give us the grace to pour out our hearts to you in repentance and confession and, and submission. But, but Lord, then help us to know how to open our heart to the flood tide of your grace and your blessing, Lord. That's what we need. That's what we need, God. 
That's what we need. Maybe just join together. Just turn and find a prayer partner, anybody around you, and just to just confess. Maybe in terms of uh, what God is saying to you today. What is God's word speaking to you today? Just say, just in a line, maybe just in a phrase. This is what God is saying to me. I want us to pray together about it, and then and, and then switch and say the same thing. Will you do that? Join a, join, join together with a, a partner in prayer.